I think it's important to bring resources and new people to communities, but in that nature, in that vein of asset-based community development to recognize the people and passions that are within our neighborhoods yeah. as assets, mm -hmm. you know? So I think, yes, we're here to, to bring a certain resource or mindset, but that resource and mindset has to have the approach of bolstering what's here, you know, and of taking advantage of and leveraging the people who are here and cultivating yeah. um, growth from within. Welcome to the Neighboring Podcast. I am here with Raina Bradley Hello. of Bridge of Grace, and uh, thank you for being on this episode. Uh, Bridge of Grace is an organization here on the southeast side who has decided to plant its roots um, and to grow and to flourish and be a part of the neighborhood. Uh, and there's a lot of attention and a lot of conversation around Bridge of Grace as being kind of a, a forefront leader in terms of uh, engaging and sticking a claim in a neighborhood. And so yeah. I want to have that conversation sure. today. So sure. welcome to Neighboring Podcast. Thanks for having me, Andrew. Tell us about yourself. Like we want to know uh, who Raina Bradley is. We, we hear Raina about Bradley Javier, but is. we don't know Raina. Oh my goodness. So Raina Bradley is the youngest of five girls. I grew up in Southfield, Michigan. Um, my parents were business owners, small business owners, and I lived in a very stable suburban <laughs> neighborhood and, and had that life. Um, and it was awesome because uh, Southfield is a gym in that when I grew up there in the 90s, there were a lot of, it's predominantly middle class and predominantly Afro-American, our neighborhood. So I had neighbors who were lawyers and doctors and judges and nurses and teachers, and they looked like me. Yeah. And I had friends who were in honors classes and they looked like me. And all our parents were there like rooting us on and saying, my kid's awesome. Your kid's awesome. Well, Raina's going to be a doctor when she grows up. Raina's going to be a lawyer when she grows up. Raina's going to be a judge when she grows up. And then there was my mom there saying, my kid's going to be president when she <laughs> grows right. up. You know, so it was beautiful. It was high standards, um, really encouraging, really nurturing, awesome environment. What is, how did you end up in Fort Wayne then? Huh. So um, when I was in high school, I decided that I wanted to be an architect, and it was because... You didn't want to follow the presidential candidacy route, or are you still working on that? Is I'm, mom I'm, still I'm, pushing I'm towards that? I'm on it. I'm on it. I'm uh, getting there, mom. I can see it. <laughs> I'm getting there, mom. But um, I, I felt like there were three choices okay. growing up, that I could be an engineer or a doctor or a lawyer, and like that's what success was in the, in the school that I went to and kind of the Detroit environment. And so I started trying those things because that's my nature. I like to test okay. different areas. And I went up to my high school's anatomy lab because we had one of those. And I decided that cats on formaldehyde are really gross. Yeah. And that maybe I didn't want to be a doctor. Um, I took debate as like my delving into law a little right. bit. And I loved the learning and the camaraderie, but the kind of cutthroat nature of it wasn't as fun to me. I was like, maybe not that. So I was settling on engineering. Um, I love being creative. I love drawing. I love ceramics, painting. I thought about fashion for a while. And so I started leaning toward, I was like, I still want to be a creative, but fine artist didn't feel like a guaranteed, comfortable life. Um, 
and I took an, an AP environment class. Shout out to Mr. Mitten. All right. Um, and he made it practical. He told us how much energy buildings consume. He told us how much pollution they put out. Wow. And he did something one day where he said, okay guys, so how many of you guys in here have lung disease? Who has asthma? Who has bronchitis? And it was like a third of our classroom. Wow. And he said, that's because of the pollution that our auto factories are putting out in our environment. And he yeah. asked us, you know, hey, what's, what color's the sky? And you know, we're all like 16, so this feels like a really goofy question. Yeah. We're like, is there a trick? And he's like, no, 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 okay, what, what color is the sky? Blue? <laughs> and he said, is it though? And he walked us outside and we looked at the sky and it, it wasn't super blue. And we hadn't really noticed that before. And so that brought it home to me, like, wow. If I dive into architecture, I can still be a creative, but perhaps I can, you know, make our environment better and that'll improve people's health and that'll be something that's meaningful um, to us as a community. So that's why I decided to study architecture. Went to school in DC. Auto industry collapse happened before I graduated. So I stayed in DC, worked on large hospitals, got an awesome opportunity to go back home, uh, work for the Detroit Land Bank Authority and do neighborhood revitalization and improvement with green energy technologies, which was way cool. Um, and then a certain bankruptcy happened <laughs> at the city of Detroit. And I uh, gave myself a nice long vacation, saw the world for a while, and tried to find an opportunity that melded those interests of being a designer, but still of doing something meaningful for people in a community. And I happened upon Bridge of Grace from eBlast, right. uh, from yeah, CCDA, yeah. from the Christian Community Development Association. And I thought the organization sounded really cool. They wanted an education programs coordinator. And I was like, that's totally not what they need. And so I scheduled an interview and kind of told them that, you know, hey, I'm an architect. Yeah. I think what you guys are doing is really great, talking about shifting culture and whatnot. And, Javier always talks about tipping point and broken windows theory and I saw that on his testimony and I said, so because I feel like you understand tipping point and broken windows theory, I think you know how much your environment can impact your culture sure. and your people. And if you would like to do that type of work, I'd really love to do that type of work with you. Um, and his face lit up like it was Christmas. Yeah. And uh, so it took about a year okay. for me ultimately to land here after that first conversation. But that is how I came to be in Fort Wayne. Describe, describe uh, this particular neighborhood um, mm. from a socioeconomic. It sounds like mm -hmm. from, from where you grew up, you've chosen education, you had a supportive family, a supportive neighborhood, mm -hmm. and uh, in a community. Uh, how, did you, how did you get exposed to like even CCDA or more community development-minded stuff? Mm-hmm. So, I think my mind was always more on community. I think that's just my heart. Um, my dad and I used to go on walks together and I started carrying a plastic bag because I wanted to pick up bottles during our walk. And <laughs> I used to go for runs because I was on the track team and one day I came home with a trunk full of plastic. That was just my nature, I think. I've always been more community minded. CCDA in particular, a friend happened to invite me to a CCDA event in Michigan. Um, she's also a Christian woman in the community development sector. And she's like, I feel like this would be right up your alley. You should totally come with me to this meeting. So I went with her. Um, but this neighborhood is socioeconomically, 
Um, our median income is around $25,000 per household, and that can be for a family of one or a household of one where you have like a single retiree living there. Yeah. Or it can be a household of up to, you know, five or seven or so, yep. you know, a couple adults and several children. Um, a medium, and uh, median household income for Fort Wayne is about 47, about 48,000 dollars. Sure. So it uh, gives the audience a bit of context. Right. So it's about half of that. Yeah. And it puts most of the families in our neighborhood under or right at the poverty line. Um, but outside of the social economic characteristics, it's a very loving, welcoming, incredibly warm place. Um, and I think that's the difference where even though I grew up in a nurturing environment uh, with a lot of middle class folks, I knew the neighbors across the street from me and on either side. And that was pretty much it for the full 18 years that I grew up in that household. Mm -hmm. Here, you know, I wave to everybody who drives by. They're very friendly. The kids all come out and hug everybody. And my neighbors will check on me. They'll knock on my door. Yeah. They'll make sure I'm all right. When I first moved in, I moved into this yellow house right across from us. And um, I had a neighbor who was living at this house. Uh, there's other neighbors there right now who are also awesome neighbors. And I gave her the old fire pit out of my yard yeah. because I didn't perceive myself using it. And she told me, oh my gosh, my husband works for the bread factory. We're going to bring you bread. And I was like, right. you don't have to worry about yeah. bread. But she showed up at my house the next day with like four loaves of bread for a single woman, you know? <laughs> and so I filled, I put three loaves in the freezer, yeah. one in the fridge, like, okay, I have bread for a year. And she came back the next day and said, Raina, we have more bread for you. Oh, wow. And I was just like, okay, Brandy, you know, I opened the door. She's like, you need to bring your car. I was like, bring my car. You know, this playground wasn't here. So I was just gonna walk over to her house. And she filled my trunk in partial, in the partial, some of the back seat with snickerdoodles and bagels and brownies and you know it was just this outpouring of love yeah. and then i got to spread that you know i was santa claus with bagels i was just sure. carrying them around to meetings and giving snickerdoodles away aunts uncles whoever i made friends with people really fast that way but i just say that to say our neighbors are so just loving and caring um, and the second they see it, that someone else cares or is warm and welcoming and friendly, you know, they, they reciprocate and they, like, I feel like we all build upon that as yeah. a community. And I think that's what makes our neighborhood super special. And it sounds like you experienced that kind of right as you were moving in mm -hmm. more than just a, as a function of your job or your intentionality. Yeah. Sure, you've developed from when you were a kid towards, you're moving towards community development, you're, mm -hmm. you're being more intentional, but it sounds like that was uh, neighbors being intentional with you at an early, at an early point. Yeah, I think it was just our neighbors being themselves. Yeah. Uh, we're sitting on a corner lot that you have designed and developed along with some students and, <laughs> and kids in the community, which is great. And uh, it's about 9.30 in the morning and it's just really quiet and peaceful. Yeah. Um, and I find that to be true. And many of our lower income neighborhoods in Fort Wayne. Mm. One, I think because we're more of a, a rural community and the way mm -hmm. it was developed that we don't have a, a dense urban core mm -hmm. as, as much as some other cities. Is this kind of the feel on most, most mornings around here? Yeah, yeah. it's pretty typical. Um, there's the rush to get to school because yeah. Levon Scott is right over here. So you see all the kids walking by and then that happens in several shifts. So the high school bus stop is nearby, the middle school bus stop is nearby. But 
it's pretty standard to just see parents walking their schools, waving, and after that, it's pretty quiet up until about three. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, let's tell tell me about Bridge of Grace as an organization. Sure. You're a nonprofit organization uh, connected to and, and birthed out of a local church here. Mm-hmm. Um, tell us a little bit more about the program and the organization. Sure. So Bridge of Grace started in 2012, I believe was our official founding. And we focus on the comprehensive revitalization of the Mount Vernon Park neighborhood specifically but with the goal for replication that we want to create a model or framework that other communities can replicate to galvanize and energize and mobilize their neighbors to do good work in their communities. So it's our goal to help facilitate our neighbors becoming basically the the engines or the catalyst for the change that they want to see in their own community. Um, What we notice or what we espouse, what we believe is that our neighbors, everybody wants the same things. You know, you want to have a safe community for your kids. You want to have excellent school systems. You want to feel safe. You want it to be beautiful. But I think it's very easy to feel as an individual that it's too much for any one person to take on. Sure. Um, So we just try to listen to our community, figure out what our current priorities are, Um, by figuring out what their current priorities are, say our, because most of us live in the neighborhood too, Um, and then help shape strategies and find resources Mm -hmm. to get those things done. Uh, So that's our focus. And we try to do that with an asset-based approach, which I feel like some people see as noticing everything that's good and building upon everything that's good, but it's also just being willing to see the opportunities that are inherent in our challenges. You know, I feel like some people look at vacant lots and they just see it as a blighting influence, but you don't see it as an opportunity to build amenities and bring people together. Some people see trash on their neighborhoods, and you say, okay, we should do trash pickup, but are you also seeing that that's an opportunity to get folks together, to build relationships, to know each other, and to accomplish something together? Um, Same thing with blighted houses. You know, that can be a new home. You can mitigate the blight. You can board it up, or it can be a new home for a family. It can be a new meeting point. Um, for devotionals and, and whatnot, you yeah. know? So there's all this opportunity inherent in what some folks only see as challenges. And I think that's a gift that I received as a, as a designer. We're taught to look that way, to problem seek yeah. and to then problem solve. Um, even, I mean, what idle teenagers, people, you know, teens are just running around. They can be designers. They can get out here, they can figure out what our parks need to be, and and they can build it themselves. So that, I feel like, is Bridge of Grace in a nutshell for me. We're just here trying to spread the love of Christ and help our neighbors create the neighborhood that they want to live in. Sounds like many of the programs, or all the programs in the activity, have a human connectivity point as the driving force. Mm-hmm. Like the, Rather than just a program that tries to transform something tangibly or physically, mm-hmm. uh, the programs are designed to uh, connect connect neighbors to do the transforming. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Um, so you see that uh, in our holiday give back program. That's one mm-hmm. that we really enjoy as a community, where we had a neighbor, um, a community neighbor, we'll say who reached out to us and said, hey, you know, we really would love to sponsor a family in your neighborhood for Mm -hmm. Christmas or a few families because they had a surplus and they very giving people. And, um, you know, 
Javier and I both hesitated toward that because we were just like, uh, you know, it doesn't feel comfortable to knock on anyone's door and say, hey, guys, you know, you look a little needy this year. Yeah. <laughs> Can these folks help you out? Yeah. So instead, we brainstormed with um, the folks in that organization and came up with the idea of doing a give back, providing our community with an opportunity to create something and brighten someone else's Christmas season. So they donated fleece and to us and we made hats and blankets and scarves for local homeless men and women in Fort Wayne. We invited the community to join us in that effort to do something for someone else. And the first year we did it, it was amazing. I called maybe eight to 10 households and said, hey, we're gonna do something for homeless men and women for Christmas. Will you come out with us? Will you come join us? And 100% of the families we called showed up and brought canned goods and all kinds of gifts or made cards for those men and women in Fort Wayne. And and I think it just goes to show the heart of this community. Sure. You know, as soon as people felt like, oh, there's a way I can plug in, there's something I can do, if I can donate just canned goods and tie a knot, I can do something else for somebody else. Mm -hmm. And they came out in droves to do that. Um, Other examples, and mentioned our teens. We have a design camp where our teens come out, they hang out with me for five weeks, and we walk them through the whole design process. So they identify a community concern, design a solution to address that concern, build a full-scale working prototype of yeah. whatever they designed. I drag them with me to, I don't have to drag hard, <laughs> with board, to Board of Zoning Appeals hearings, and they testify on behalf of their own work, you know, to get it done. But again, that's seeing a challenge, a few challenges, maybe yeah. vacant lots, idle teenagers, a certain lack of access to creative, you know, outlets and schools, and just combining them all to create solutions like this one and the other two parks that are going on um, so absolutely we love to have that human interface we, we think it's essential to our work and ultimately we try to grow leaders through those processes and yeah. give the community more and more and more ownership of the process as we go about it what are some of the is there a particular story from like say one of the teens in the design process that uh, mm. stands out to you in terms of uh, new learning or seeing them in the last year do something different after that kind of five-week program Wow. Or just how you've seen maybe a personality change from when you maybe first met them to when they went through the program. Sure. And I don't want to say it's a personality change even. I just want to, I think all, I think the youth that I've met in this neighborhood and through that program are just brilliant. Yeah. They're brilliant kids. I think some of them may not realize quite how brilliant they are, but they're phenomenal. Um, Xaviana is a phenomenal young lady. She's very subdued in effect, you know, so she doesn't seem to get very excited or anything. But, and I remember feeling like, okay, she's a little reserved. I'm not sure if she's happy like <laughs> to be here. And I think she had just moved into the community when we first started our camp this past summer. And she was one where, um, I think it was our last week of camp. So the end of our five weeks, I finally got her to pick up an impact drill and she put a few pieces together, you know, got a few screws in there where before she was just kind of holding lumber for other people to take care of it. And she like looked up and just said, I'm a builder. I built that, (laughs) you know, and hey guys, we're like making our dreams come to reality Uh, right now, Yeah, right now, you know, and so it was never like this whoa all of a sudden Xaviana like shouted from the rooftops but you saw that pride of 
I did that. Yeah. We're bringing our dreams to fruition. And that's something that we can do. Yeah. And like that it was super powerful for me. Um, one of my kids after, <laughs> after I think the previous summer, he wrote me an email. It was just like, hey, Miss Reyna, um, I'm interested in organizing a political rally. Do you have friends that could help me do that? And I was right. like, absolutely. You know, I think they just know that I support their dreams. Yeah. I support their vision. If there's something you want to do and you're willing to do it, I'm here for it. Um, and that's the growth, I suppose, I've seen in our kids. I've seen, I feel like them feel like, I've seen them feel like they feel like. I've seen, I think, them go from feeling like some of their dreams might be pipe dreams or just good ideas sure. to things that they can actually do and yeah. on. It's important, uh, shifting from holding a board to like putting some screws in. Yeah. Um, just the progression. Yeah. It's great. Uh, there's a couple of uh, things around Bridge of Grace that I think are significant that, that may not get talked about as much um, in terms of what may be more significant of mm. why I think this is different than what we've seen some other things. Mm. One is the role of geography. Like sure. The fact that you guys have said Mount Vernon Park mm -hmm. and have drawn a particular relatively tight boundary mm -hmm. around a specific area. Can you talk about the role of geography or why like you draw a line around a particular area sure rather than saying like a whole quadrant or a whole like area of the city right and so that role of geography is really a role of scope yeah it's limiting your scope so that you can work well within a set boundary um i believe mount vernon park became our neighborhood more or less because that's where the church sure. is sure you know javier came here to plant a church and so he decided to start in his own backyard, yep. essentially, which is smart. Well, um, best place to start. Exactly, exactly. And so when he first came out here, which is, it predates me, um, he mobilized a group of volunteers to knock on all the doors mm -hmm. in this community to say, what do you want to see in your church? And what do you want to see happen in your neighborhood? Um, and got their feedback. But I think having that scope is so important because we all have limited resources. We all have limited capacity as organizations and as people. Um, and when you start to get larger than a single neighborhood, all of a sudden you have different folks with different needs and different perspectives. Yeah. Um, you know, the needs of Mount Vernon Park are not going to be the same as the needs of Pettit Rudisil or of Oxford. They all we all have different concerns and desires. Some of us have schools in our neighborhood. Some of us don't. Some need infrastructure improvement. Yeah. Some need you know, more job creation. It's going to vary, but when you pick one neighborhood, you can focus on the concerns of that specific neighborhood and you can make strides with that specific neighborhood and that group of neighbors um, in a way that's meaningful and impactful, where if we try to spread out, I think our resources across all of the Southeast Quadrant, one, there's no way we could address every yeah. single person's needs, but two, I don't think, like having that dispersed impact, what maybe we could plant tulips all over Southeast, maybe, sure. you know, yeah. but we couldn't um, do the meaningful, impactful work that we do here, which yeah. is, you know, the housing renovations, the park activations, so on and so forth. Second, you know, we can't, we could try, maybe if we had like 200 employees to live all throughout Southeast, but we can all live in this neighborhood and know our neighbors and know their concerns and have them be our concerns yeah. and have that vested interest in this community. Um, so I think it is important to limit your reach just because you can maximize your impact yeah. 
you can test it, you can pilot, you can figure it out, you can do it well, and then you can share with other people those resources and those lessons learned so that they can replicate yeah. similar efforts in their own communities. Um, but in other communities where they are embedded yeah. and where they understand the specific concerns and needs mm -hmm. of those neighbors. Um, but no, having a smaller scope just really, I think, helps us to have impactful work. Yeah, uh, that's great. That's really important. I think one of the unique aspects about Fort Wayne is we have really relatively small neighborhoods. We have a mm -hmm. lot of neighborhoods in our city. Mm -hmm. um, and they're smaller in scale compared to the way maybe other cities classify their neighborhood sure. areas. Uh, but even in a neighborhood like this, how many households are here? 550. So there's 550 households. Mm -hmm. uh, relatively of the same kind of uh, condition, you know, in general, sure. wide variety. But uh, when you look at just, you bring in the socioeconomics and you look at that and you look at the geography and, you know, if somebody came in and put two million dollars and said we want to fix up all the houses that's not even going to get it, it will help a lot but it's not going to solve all the problems mm -hmm. and so if you get too far mm -hmm. and too big and say you want to change housing in the southeast or the uh, a particular mm -hmm. broader this is, to your point like can you really make uh, as big of an impact yeah. and so getting focused and being able to see the progression of things is really important to see the progression and also to know the people yeah. you know i think we're we're very big about having a grassroots approach, yeah. but also a very personal and spiritual approach. We want to know you. Yeah. We want to know, you know, okay, if you haven't had a job in a little while, what's going on? Can we pray with you? Do you know that somebody cares about yeah. you? And to see the impact of just people knowing that someone cares is tremendous, you know? Um, when we did our first, one of our first rounds of neighborhood surveys, we gave people a quiz about the neighborhood and okay. then, you know, told them the real answers to their questions, which I think helped shape, shift perception. Yeah. So, for example, a lot of people thought crime in our neighborhood was going up. Okay. And then you saw them look at the key to the quiz and everybody crossed it out and wrote, dramatically decreasing. <laughs> um, but we had a, our final question was, what surprised you the most? And I thought I was going to hear the number of kids in the neighborhood or the crime level yeah. in the neighborhood. And we got a couple of those. But the most consistent response was that you care, that someone cares, that someone's here to make a difference. And I think limiting our scope also helps us just be able to impart that to people. Yeah. That when you drive past Marina's house, she'll wave at right. you. When you see Pastor Javier out looking around, that he's up to something good. You know, yeah. he's still up to something, but he's yeah. up to something good. <laughs> um, and that we have one another's best interests in mind. One of the second thoughts, and we're heading in that direction that I have that I think is unique about um, Bridge of Grace is that uh, Javier, yourself, and other staff members of Bridge of Grace have chosen to live here. Mm -hmm. Like the, Talk about the role and the importance of uh, being a neighbor mm. uh, with your work. Mm -hmm. um, because most of, most of social services or most of volunteerism or generosity or benevolence in a transactional nature, like there's mm -hmm. lots of things to do mm -hmm. in your neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And the way that most of us experience serving or engagement and community related issues is that we leave where we live and we go mm -hmm. um, into another community. We do whatever it mm -hmm. is, whether it's tutoring students or working in this, this lot or mm -hmm. mowing somebody's grass. And then we return home. Sure. And maybe we make a year or two commitment, but we're always yeah. leaving and coming, leaving and coming. Yeah. Talk to me about the role and the importance, at least from a staff perspective, 
of living intentionally in the neighborhood that you're trying to do work? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think the obvious thing is a couple of things I've mentioned. One, you have a vested interest in that community when it's not somebody else's, it's your community too. You live here. Yeah, you live here. So when the trash doesn't pick, get picked up, it's not a surprise to you. You don't have to survey to figure out or say, just call me. You, you experience it. You know these things happen. When crime happens, um, you experience it as well. Exactly. You experience that as well. When celebratory things happen, Absolutely. you experience that as well. When you connect and you're nice to your neighbor, you mm-hmm. get the benefits of... Of still seeing those great, awesome people. Yeah. Um, absolutely. But I think also, with Bridge of Grace in particular, a lot of our staff that are here, myself included, feel that we were called to this neighborhood. So it's not just a job, it's our mission. Yeah. You know, we feel that we are on mission here. And I feel like people can perhaps relate to that. You know, there's a difference between a day of service and going out and being in a missionary role and living in your mission field you know so um when i first interviewed here they said you know would you would you pray about living in the neighborhood would you consider that and i did and i absolutely felt like god said that's it that's the place for you and so i came javier obviously was called here as a pastor and some of our other co-workers said the same they just felt called here and they wanted to be here. A family that moved into one of our homes moved here from California of all places and said, I felt like God was just calling us to this neighborhood. And then we met Javier and then, you know, our house came to be. So it's a real discipleship missionary process. And I feel like, you know, you can't make as great an impact if you're not living in the community. You can't minister to an area if you're as well you know you can do something but those informal moments those kind of accidental collisions just can't happen if you're not in the neighborhood i've been late to work some mornings because my neighbor pulled up and just said oh Raina, my my husband's in the hospital can you just pray with me like right now absolutely yeah you know or coming out of the church one day this young lady was coming out and just saying ah you know did you just come out of the church can you pray with me? Because mm-hmm. we need so this and that and the other. And absolutely. Or I walk around and I hear five kids, that's the lady from the church. You know, yeah. it just, when you're, I don't, I don't know how else to, to describe it. Like, I feel like I feel it in my heart and I just want to yeah. take that out and give it to you. But um, when it's missionary, when it's more evangelizing, when you feel called because you're here for the purpose. Yeah nothing else can come close to doing that to serving on your mission field to being and living in your mission field so i do encourage people if you feel called to a specific area and to a specific group of people go move yeah go move if that's your purpose you know god will he'll make it work yeah i i'm curious um so I was, I had an opportunity to speak at a different thing this past weekend and mm. it was on low income and just the vulnerable in a healthcare setting and mm. uh, it was a really great conversation and some, someone towards the end we were doing a panel with the presenters and talking about, okay, what do we, what, how do we change these things? And mm-hmm. For me so much of what I've been learning, my wife and I, I felt called and moved into a particular neighborhood sure. over a decade ago in order to be present and live where we were spending a lot of our time mm. and that whole idea as well. And uh, as I learned about community development, Christian community development, and um, the whole idea of like what some of our neighborhoods need mm. is this idea of radical 
it's almost a radical relocation and redistribution of of those of us that have resources mm -hmm. like our neighborhoods need more people of resource moving into them because if you, you yeah. have resources you've got those resources from mm -hmm. hard work and dedication and education mm -hmm. and stable families and we need to bring that to the community mm -hmm. in order to diversify the neighborhoods a little bit mm -hmm. while that makes sense to you and i because of what how we embrace and have learned about our faith for those that may not have a faith background mm. do you how have you talked or have you seen others that may not have a calling mm. and a desire to to step out into faith and like that mm. like how does somebody that may not have a faith also embrace that or is I, it is it more challenging or are you seeing that happen and what kind of encouragement do you have i guess i have question. a very sincere belief that everyone has a calling and purpose yeah, agreed and i think they feel that yeah whenever you ask someone what their dream is or what they're excited about or what their passion is there's an answer yeah. right the question is usually whether or not they're pursuing that dream and passion and answer um i feel that that's god given yeah. some people might feel like it's it's universe given yeah. or just something that's innate in of themselves and i don't want to knock any of those uh, ways of looking at it i just look at it from a perspective of, of christianity and i um I feel like everyone, like I said, they all have that calling and purpose, so it's just, are you going to live it out? Yeah. Or are you going to perceive it as a pipe dream? Are you going to be the person who holds the lumber, or are you going to be the person who puts those screws in? Yeah. So I feel that's the choice, really. The choice is to live out your purpose. Now, can that mean missing some elements of comfort as you currently perceive comfort? Sure. But can it look like gaining a whole lot of fulfillment and yeah. satisfaction from your life and what you do and feeling meaning? Absolutely. Absolutely. I don't think necessarily that anyone should force themselves mm -hmm. into that role, though. I do want to emphasize that. Don't say, oh, well, because, you know, Andrew's doing yeah. this, then that's what I have to do. Right. You know, we're all, we're one body, which yeah. means that we're all a different part of that body. Yeah. And, you know, don't be a head that's trying to be a toe or, you know, <laughs> yeah. but just, just embrace your role, embrace your passion, embrace who it is that you are and get out there and do it. I do want to emphasize also, I think it's important to bring resources and new people to communities, but in that nature, in that vein of asset-based community development to recognize the people and passions that are within our neighborhoods yeah. as assets, mm -hmm. you know? So I think, yes, we're here to, to bring a certain resource or mindset, but that resource and mindset has to have the approach of bolstering what's here you know and of taking advantage of and leveraging the people who are here and cultivating yeah. um, growth from within yeah. as well because um, one of the things that keeps me up at night is that fear that oh my goodness I would never want our work to displace our neighbors yeah, yeah. you know they're beautiful they're I feel oh so special but they are <laughs> you know special special people um, who deserve every good thing that this world has to offer them um and i think that's the trick it's figuring out how to be a rising tide yeah that everybody can uh, benefit from yeah yeah it's good it's a good reminder on the relational aspect mm -hmm. of relocation and the ideas around that mm. uh what's um so one of the challenges for myself uh and 
what do you do for yourself? Because this kind of work and when you live mm. and you do this work every day, mm -hmm. uh, work-life integration is more the the essence. And you illustrated that a few times of like, I'm leaving church and now I'm like, you know, always on work, sure. at work. In a well, way. ultimately it's because it's who you are, mm -hmm. living it out no matter where you're at. Mm -hmm. And so if you're adding value to the community that people recognize it and, and approach you on that. Mm -hmm. what, what are some of the things that, that Raina does for rest and renewal and kind of disconnecting at times from, from always being on? Mm -hmm. Being a neighbor. Mm -hmm. We all do that, <laughs> whether really you grew up here or whatever. Doing that. Oh. <laughs> I usually just keep working. I don't recommend that. But um, yeah. I, I love what I do. I yeah. love what I do. Spending time with the kids gives me energy. Um, being out in our neighborhood and stuccoing tires for our latest park kind of gives me energy. I find that relaxing, you know, you're just you in the stucco. <laughs> but out there taking care of it, weeding my lawn, you know, kids will run up. I want to weed too. Okay, you know, yeah. let's do it. Um, so I like that though. I like that kids will knock on my door and ask me to draw something because I feel like it pulls me out of maybe the day-to-day menial work you know what i mean like of the paperwork mindset and of sitting there and we still all need to push screws and boards right now yeah like yeah steps. or we pick have to get up hand, a brush hands on yeah pick up a brush bake you know a frozen pizza with some child uh, that's joyous you know and i feel like sometimes the folks knocking on my door or asking me to pray it pulls me out of just the mechanical yeah, nature great. of the work and more into the relational nature of the work mm -hmm. which is awesome but lately this summer I've made an effort to be intentional in doing those things that give me energy as much as I'm intentional about doing those things that build mm -hmm. up our neighborhood. So I guess that's looked like kayaking with my friends. So I've invited nearly all of my friends to come kayak with me this okay. summer. And we've gotten out. We've done that. It's not sitting and eating dinner and getting fatter together. You know, <laughs> we're out doing something healthy and yeah. having good conversation. Um, but that also gets me outdoors and in the yeah. nature and onto water. Um, which are all things that refresh me yeah. personally. And I create, I draw, I paint, I build stuff. Um, and, you know, I've been doing family portraits of my, my family right. and family members lately. So it's like if I get home and it's late, I can still pick up a pastel or a brush for a little bit and just, you know, touch up my sister's ear or something. Mm -hmm. And that's an incredible release for me. So just honestly taking full advantage of nice weather and putting things on my calendar that's, that mandates you will have fun <laughs> from this time to this time. Um, because I think it's super easy to see recharging and refreshment as something that you earn and that you do after your work is sure. done. Um, but work is never done. Yeah. Um, and especially when you live in the community, yeah. there's always something that can be a little better, that yeah. can be touched up. And frankly, that will be there mm -hmm. tomorrow. Um, but one pastor, Pastor Joe from Fellowship Missionary told me, he said, you know, when God made the heavens and the earth, it was, he made it in seven days. And he made man on the sixth day. And then he, you know, gave man his charge and said, okay, you're going to be a steward and so on and so forth and you're going to rest on the seventh day and he said so he gave his charge to work and the next day was his day of rest so he had him work from a place of rest not to earn mm. his rest sure and so i've tried to to adopt that standpoint of you need to work from rest you need to give yourself rest and energy 
before you get out there so that you can give it your all yeah. um, rather than feeling like you have to, to earn it, which I think is more my, my natural, <laughs> yeah. my natural uh, tendency. Yeah, it, uh, from, from myself as well, it always feels like I'm, I'm always on, mm-hmm. um, which I love. You know, I think if anything, fi- uh, m- mirroring and marrying your life and vocation and purpose all together um, brings, you, <clears throat> brings you joy and balance mm-hmm. more so than, than anything else, yeah. um, personally, from my experience as well. Mm-hmm. What are some exciting things going on at Bridge of Grace? What's, the, what's the, the exciting things looking into the next year or so, some projects? Or s- next Saturday, uh, September 21st. We are going to be having a ribbon cutting for one of our new parks. So I mentioned our teens designed parks from the neighborhood uh, in the Smith Street lot. They designed a stage with an undulating tire wall um, that's gonna act as seating. So we're gonna have a new performing arts space and the Fort Wayne Ballet is gonna send a couple members out to dance on the stage for the ribbon cutting. Um, and we're going to be unveiling a mural that was done by some youth over at University of St. Francis okay. uh, for that lot. Directly following that, we're going to have a multicultural community festival. Um, so we're going to have music from different cultural groups, food from different cultural groups. And the whole idea is to just pull out our community members to be one community. You know, a lot of us live in proximity to each other, but we don't always get a chance to talk to our neighbors from different dialects or backgrounds or to break bread with one another. So we want to do that and we're doing it as a pilot. You know, we'd love to see what if there was an international festival in this part of town once a month or every other week, you know, during the summer um, and to highlight the economic potential of that area to make it a market so somebody yeah. and come and sell their pies or sell yeah. their body scrubs or begin to launch those businesses and that entrepreneurial mindset. So we're really, really excited about that. I think that's the biggest thing we have coming up right now. Um, Javier and I are going to be speaking at a few events. People see us all the time, I'm sure. <laughs> so we'll see you if you come out to the Regional Neighborhood Network Conference or the Reclaiming Vacant Properties Conference. Um, or the AARP's like quality of life conference. That's great. Soon, yeah. Well, we'll uh, we'll post some pictures of this with your podcast so people can see if uh, if they want to see what's going on and see the, right on. see the great work you're doing. Perfect. Uh, to wrap up, uh, Reina, what what does it mean to be a good neighbor? Mm. I feel like I should have a one sentence canned response to this, right? Being a good neighbor is just looking like treating people the way you would want them to treat your own family member. To look at that neighbor who's a little older than you as your aunt, to look at the children in the neighborhood as your own children or as your nephews and nieces, and to respond accordingly. I think when we realize that we're just one big family, um, that we tend to give each other a little more love and a little more grace and what community couldn't benefit from a little more love. Thank you for that. Yeah. Thanks for being on the Neighboring Podcast. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thank you for uh, for the work you do and you pursuing the pursuing the calling that you uh, so passionately talk about and keep telling that story because I think our our community in Fort Wayne uh, needs to hear that story more than ever. Um, that mm-hmm. uh, aligning your calling and your purpose towards the places that you live and how you do life and the way you work and 
all of those things need to be more more integrated and, and played out. So yeah, we'll do we'll tell that story together. Awesome. Thank well, you, Andrew. Thanks for joining this episode of Neighboring. We'll be back next week with another episode.